Hello, this is Graphic Policy Radio. This is your host, Elana Levin, a.k.a. Elana Brooklyn. And we've got something different for you this week. Uh, for a change, I'm the one being interviewed. Uh, editor of The Fabulist, an awesome website uh, and newsletter, uh, Josh Wilson came to me because he wanted to interview an expert about Jean Grey, uh, given the movie opening this past week. And I said yes. And as we began to talk, we realized this would be a great podcast episode. So we've got the tables turned right now. And you'll be listening to Josh Wilson interview me about Jean Grey and the Phoenix and X-Men comics. Because I'm certainly not going to be watching a bad X-Men movie. So let's spend some time talking about what's great about the character. And some of the stumbling blocks that we've had with her along the way, too. My name is Josh Wilson, and uh, on this side, it's the first podcast for The Fabulist, which uh, you can find online at the-fabulist.org. And uh, this is also <clears throat> your podcast, too. Yes. <laughs> uh, Graphic Policy Radio, um, where comics and politics meet uh, on iTunes, SoundCloud. I finally got us up on Spotify. And, you know, really our bread and butter is interviewing people who write comics um, and also discussing comics and comic-related media with people who are bringing to bear analysis on queer theory, racial justice activists, and people who just sort of have a particular political, analytical approach to looking at art and culture and society. Um but all about geek culture, so comics and movies that are related to science fiction and things like that. And uh, I've been doing this for since 2012, which is crazy when I think wow. about it, like before podcasts are even that popular. So yeah, yeah. and um, I graphicpolicy.com has the bulk of my critical writing on it, which is, you know, usually comic stuff. But, uh, but I've also written for Comics Beat. Uh, I've written for Wired.com. I did their one of their pieces for Captain Marvel. Uh, I had a big piece on Jack Kirby's work and Donald Trump over at mm. the Daily Beast. Um, so I've been in a number of different places. And uh, I guess the best place to find most of my work is I'm on Twitter. Probably too much at E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. That's Elana underscore Brooklyn. Awesome. <clears throat> um, and... Uh, uh... Getting started in this conversation, we are going to talk about uh, most of what you discussed, politics and policy and a little bit of queer theory and geeking out in general. And our subject at hand today is Jean Grey and, and the Phoenix and Dark Phoenix. And uh, there's a lot to say, of course, about, about Jean. But uh, rather than preload this conversation, uh, I wonder if we could just get right to it. And I want to just open up some terrain here for you to sure. offer. Yeah. Oh, real quick, though, do you want to do a quick introduction to uh, The Fabulist for people who don't know? Oh, of course. For for the graphic policy listeners, yes. The Fabulist, Words and Art, is uh, started out as a sort of hobby blog for uh, my own fiction, and I started getting submissions, and which were much better than what I published, so I took down my, my work. <laughs> None of it's on there now. And uh, it's become its own sort of little literary blog and website. We are listed in a couple different writers' markets, and I get submissions from MFAs and their professors and aspirants and occasionally represented authors, and we have a small team out here. And uh, we're going to be expanding uh, and changing our URL to fabulousmagazine.com. We have uh, about, we've been publishing since 2007 and have a ton of uh, uh, mostly 
fantastical fiction of all sorts and fables, yarns, and tales was our was our uh, old motto, and we're now expanding to do reviews and critical commentary as well. And you can find that. Uh, you will always be able to find it at the-fabulist.org and uh, hopefully very soon relaunching at fabulistmagazine.com. Excellent. Cool. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so glad to share this podcast space with you. And uh, I just want to open up the terrain completely and, and ask if you have uh, any succinct or even non-succinct feminist take on the character of Jean Grey. You know, it's interesting because... Jean Grey began as a female superhero for whom her being female was like basically the only characteristic that she had. It's what we used to Mm. call the, the Smurfette syndrome where there's, (laughs) there's one woman on a team of men and her personality is she's the woman. Um, And yet despite that, and, and partially because there was room made for it in terms of the way comics are created with different creative teams over time. um, But also because your initial power set itself was so powerful. Uh, creators have been able to do uh, really interesting, uh, powerful things with her as a character. She's really, I think, a fan favorite in a way that some of the other, you know, leaders of the X-Men sometimes aren't recognized to be. Like, mm. people like Jean more than they like Scott. That's just a fact. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I like Scott. I'm just, I'm just like sure. looking at the popularity grid as I see it. Um, but uh, I want to talk a little bit about sort of the origins of what makes the character work and uh, what made the character click for me in particular. Because uh, I was always someone who I never liked the Smurfette characters in mm. groups. I just always resented them. And I never really related to them very much because my personal characteristics were 100% not being a girl. So if right. a, a character's personality was being a girl, that was not relatable to me whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, I was much more likely to relate to the uh, snarky one in the group then. Um Anyway, so, uh, so, you know, I, I think the first time that I read Jean Grey in a comic and I said, okay, she could be like a top tier favorite character for me. Am I getting ahead of us where we want to be? No, 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 no. Tell me about, yeah. I think the first time I I read a character, her in a comic and thought like, okay, this is a first tier character is during, and I'd, I'd always... I, you know, I, I kind of I was interested in her a bit in the uh, kids cartoon, which was the X-Men cartoon, which was my introduction to the X-Men was from mm-hmm. the cartoon of the 80s. Um, there is an issue of, oh, damn, I have the numbers somewhere. But there's an issue of like classic X-Men run. Oh, shit. Hold on one second. I'm going to look this up because it's going to kill me. And while you're looking, uh, I am embarrassed to say I never saw the X-Men cartoon, which is oh, lame wow. considering how much of a fan I was. Um, you never watched the cartoon? No. That's wild. Well, I mean, I, that's my generation. I was a little bit old to watch the cartoon, but mm. I like love that shit. Um, okay. So it's an X-Men 28. I'm going to pull out the credits mm. for it. So, and this is X-Men rather than uncanny X-Men. So this, right. this is an, this is an early nineties <laughs> comic, not like from the beginning of, uh-huh. um, where, you know, from the whole series, the Devil 70s, in the House. Yeah. Yes. The, this, the comic issue is called, Devil in the House. It, I, um, Cube, yeah, Andy Kubert does the art. And Fabian Nicheza is the writer. That makes sense. Yes. So Sabretooth, big scary villain, is right. being held captive at the X-Men mansion. And everybody is just freaking out. 
and being afraid to deal with him. Um, you know, you kind of, it's framed by like Jubilee having nightmares about confronting him. And Jean is basically the one person who he goes, she goes in there because he keeps begging for her to go and he gets high off of psychic's energy. And he, mm. he'd had a girlfriend who he'd basically been abusing to get her psychic buzz. Mm. Um, and Jean, Sabretooth uh, like, has been doing this and he's been insulting various other psychics. Like it's mostly been, um, uh, Psylocke who's been working with him and, um, He's like, no, you're not good. I just want to have Jean. And Jean comes in and it's like, oh, you want me? Okay. She just beats the fucking crap out of him. <laughs> so this character who literally everybody in the entire team is afraid of, she just terrifies him. Mm-hmm. And that says a lot about Jean as as a as a character, just uh her her raw power and I I guess is yeah, I, I never underestimated it as a fan, but yeah, it's you know, and um, he tries to pull like, oh, you've got a crush on Wolverine. He tries to like mess with which you know, I love her relationship with him, and that's another point. But like, mm-hmm. you know, here's this woman who, and she isn't just like you know, she's like fighting back using her powers, but she's just like completely not intimidated at all with one of the scary bad guys. And then after she leaves, Jubilee, who'd been having nightmares about Sabretooth the next day, has enough self-confidence to go in and face him, uh, bringing him his food. Mm-hmm. So it's not just that she can take him on without fear. It's that her confidence in doing this inspires mm-hmm. younger women to recognize that they can also approach these scary monsters themselves. Yeah. So, I mean, like, really, <clears throat> that is, I mean, she, I guess, through action and behavior, represents to some degree, I suppose, a feminist ideal of uh, the female superhero. Definitely. You know, and she's a character who, you know, ever since the Claremont era in the 80s, you know, has really been groomed as a leader of the team um, and uh, is one of the most powerful characters in the entire universe. Um, And that's what makes it so complex that the story that people keep wanting to tell about her in the Dark Phoenix saga is the one where, you know, oh, this woman superhero, her powers get too powerful. She loses control. She starts killing people. She goes bad. She's bad. You know, she has to go die and sacrifice herself. And of course, then she gets to be reborn because like, you know, her name, she's Phoenix. Right. Phoenix is getting born and, and then reborn. And there's amazing interviews. If anybody doesn't listen to the J and Miles Explain the X-Men podcast and cares about X-Men, drop everything and go and listen to it. Their coverage of the Phoenix, the Dark Phoenix saga on their show is just the greatest thing ever. And but, can um, you repeat that? Uh, what, 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 uh, Jay what? and Mi- yeah, it's Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. Explain okay. as an EX dash p-l-a-i-n-e the hmm. x-men so it's explain the x-men yeah um they have amazing coverage including interviews with kurt Busaic, who hmm. had actually worked on like as like an editorial assistant or in some junior capacity he'd worked on the, the dark phoenix saga um had some really interesting insight into how that went down with the politics of having you know the politics of having one of your big heroes go crazy and kill a whole planet yeah you know and then the decision to bring her back was controversial etc but i think the thing is like the Dark Phoenix saga being Jean's most like iconic story is is a mixed bag because on you know I I just don't want it to be the only thing people know about mm-hmm. her. That's the problem. Yeah. So having that be a big story about her was incredibly important and interesting and was something that a lot of people related to. There was a really cool article on 
that Sarah Century just ran for Sci-Fi's website about why que- so many queer fans identify with Jean Grey. I saw that. And with it was great. The Phoenix. Yes. So, do, do, you know, go read that too, folks. But um, I think that, like, I don't want it to be where the Phoenix si- story, sorry, where the Dark Phoenix saga is the only thing people know about Jean. But it is legitimately a great story. And the thing that gets lost when people act like it's the only thing about Jean is that, you know, there's a really bad trope about, you know, women getting too powerful, they can't handle it, mm-hmm. you know, bitches mm-hmm. be crazy, and they go and blow things up. The whole thing is precipitated by two things that men have been doing to her. The thing that's the most immediately obvious is the fact that she'd been getting literally gaslit and hmm. manipulated by mastermind and mind fucked for mm-hmm. like weeks and weeks on end before she before this happens deliberately so like somebody had been deliberately messing with her and manipulating her um and like challenging her autonomy and that was always so important for her so this isn't just like oh she was too powerful and because she was too powerful she lost her mind it's like no someone was messing with her head deliberately trying to make her mess up and then she messed up <laughs> that's not the same as saying oh you're too powerful you know women can't be trusted with power right yeah and then the other piece is that you know folks i didn't remember this at first in the beginning of the series the you know kirby lee comics they introduced jean gray as a te- as telekinetic and not having telepathy right uh predominantly because they wanted to have each character have a distinct set of powers right and if professor x has got telepathy then let's just have her be telekinetic but like later in the comic they decided actually no she has both and then at some point it was written in that actually professor x had been been suppressing her telepathic power because he didn't want her to be too powerful because he feared that she wasn't quote ready for it or couldn't control it because she was a teenager so she had already had her powers limited and manipulated by, mm-hmm. you know, even by, by her mentor. Um, and having, you know, had she been able to have more of a full life cycle of learning and adjusting to her powers, that would have been different. But instead, this man was telling her that, you know, preventing her from even having the choice mm-hmm. of using her powers or le- truly learning the fullness of her powers. And I think those are two pieces that really color what happened to her and I think make the story particularly interesting and relatable. Now we're looking in, uh, <clears throat> you know, inside the comics and seeing her gaslit and manipulated by, by these characters, these male characters. Mm-hmm. Is it a, do we feel okay about getting a little meta perspective on that and asking oh, about yes. the writers and the male writers Very and artists? Much. So I, um, I shared something uh, just a little bit before this. There's an amazing t- uh, website blog called, um, uh Kirby without the words it's created by Kate Willert um who's an amazing graphic artist and she's done this project where she goes through original Jack Kirby Stanley comics and deletes uh Stanley's text bubbles so that you can just read what the pictures that Jack Kirby drew were mm. you know in case anybody doesn't know no Stanley did not invent the Marvel universe uh there were a million writers working on it and the most important among those was Jack Kirby and then after him Steve Ditko and then right. John Romita like the characters you know and love did not spring out of Stanley's head <laughs> they came from these artists um anyway uh so Jack Kirby uh was the you know the 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 artist who created X-Men and the Hulk and basically everybody except for Spider-Man and Doctor Strange uh, was created by Jack Kirby. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Basically, like it's shorter. The list of people who were not created by Jack Kirby is shorter than the list of people (laughs) who were created by him. In this comic, 
it is issue like three, X-Men issue three. Um, and if you're looking at these images, you can see the scene of Jean Grey um, listening to uh, telepathic commands from Professor X telling her how to free herself from being blindfolded. Um, you know, you move, move a knife off of this, like, they're at a circus. There's so many crime circuses in comics. It's <laughs> hilarious. Move this knife off of a table, cut her ropes, and then cut the ropes of the other X-Men to free them. And you just sort of read this and you're like, oh my gosh, what an idiot. Like, why is Professor X have to tell her what to do? Like, like she's an automaton. And then you go and you look and you realize, once you're looking at Kirby without words, once you remove all those thought bubbles, what Jack Kirby drew is literally just a comic of Jean rescuing herself and them. Yeah. There's literally no reason in the world for there to be like, like, uh, Professor X is not depicted in this entire sequence. It's just a sequence where you see Jean Grey using her powers to free herself and free her teammates. Yeah. Professor X isn't even in this. So what we had in Jack Kirby's art was a, you know, reasonably feminist story of, a team of superheroes getting kidnapped and the female member of the team using her powers to free everyone. Hooray. Yeah. And then Stanley was like, that can't possibly be true. I'm going to go and uh, explain how Professor X is going to narrate to her how she's using her powers to get free. Mansplaining And there's it. two things going on there. One, there's Stanley not trusting the readers to be able to follow the art, which is insane because the art is incredibly clear because like Jack Kirby is the greatest comics artist of all yes. time. <laughs> and two, Stanley not understanding that it makes sense that Jean would just figure this out herself. It's not, you know, requiring some specialized knowledge to private problem solve her way out of this problem. Yeah. Um, there's no reason for it. So if you look at the art in these comics, even though Jean is written, you know, very much as the Smurfette, as the girl in the group, like that's not necessarily all just baked into the writing. This is, this is kind of coming from the mind of Stan Lee in a lot of ways. Um, I don't want to give the, you know, perception that like everything, it just, fall, all, all of the sexism of the initial characterization falls on Stan. But from what I've seen, that's largely so. Um, so. Yeah. Bear that in mind. I mean, you know, there never should have been a team with only one woman on it in the first place, huh. right? Like, but, you know, as soon as Chris Claremont took over, he increased the number of women and, and mm-hmm. brought everything together. And, you know, X-Men are – women love X-Men because X-Men are full of women. And yeah. that's just a big a big piece of it. But, um, but yeah, you know, and but it also helped that she's a character who's there in the team from the start. Like, you can't have the X-Men without yeah. having her. You can't be like, oh, that's a diversity hire or whatever. Right. Like, she was there from the start. Um, you know, it's creepy because, like, you have Professor X professing how he secretly has a crush for her when she's a teenager and he's an adult, and it's gross. Oh, really? But I it's minimal. It's like it's like it's like a blinking. You know, it's not he. It's not like that much of a thing. You know, and her relationship with Scott. I like that it's sort of them both pining for each other rather than it just assuming that men desire women and that right. women have no desires. And it's just at some point you realize that you love secretly love this guy or whatever. Like it feels like, you know, I mean, we don't know that Jean likes Scott from the beginning, but pretty early she's, you know, she's, she's considering Scott. She's considering Angel. You know, she's asking these questions of herself. She has some interiority. Her interiority is driven by this romantic bullshit, but like, you know, there's some there, there. And, um, 
Yeah. But, you know, Jean really didn't hit her stride until the Claremont run. And I think everybody would say that. That they did create a character in the 60s who was a woman who had those really powerful powers is pretty awesome. But there also were, I find the telepathy um, is is sort of a gendered female a lot in comics. Mm. There's definitely male characters that are telepathic, but not as many. Or look on Star Trek. Like, who are the empaths on Star Trek? They're, They're women. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, and Troy. Tele- telekinesis, you know, yeah. These are super powerful powers, but they are kind of gendered as feminine, but they're sort of the most powerful powers you could have anyway. That, I don't know. That's an interesting thread to follow. Um, and we have lots of awesome threads that came out of this. You know, one thing uh, just for your listeners is that uh, I'm going to include a link to this Kirby Without Words post uh, in the uh, blog post that we, we uh, and transcription that we post. And it is an amazing thing to look at. You know, uh, Kirby's art depicting this woman completely taking care of her own business. And then we, we look at a, I was astonished when you, sh- when you, you sent that link and I looked at it. She's incredibly deferential when the words are added. She says, "Yes, sir. I hope it don't won't I will not let you down, sir," and all this stuff. And uh, really, a male writer imposing himself on the character. And uh, you know, if we look forward to to what Claremont did, I mean, like he really. The more I think about this, and the more I look at it, Chris Claremont brought a lot of. I don't know if progressive vision is the right turn of phrase, but Jean's mm-hmm. passion and desire was right up there with Scott Summers. She was not, you know, somebody he pursued. She, they wanted each other, and uh, their their passionate embraces were quite mutual, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And um, she was not in in any way a shrinking violet. You know, and and Claremont made her a leader. Uh, yeah. In, now, I, I, I sort of cut you off halfway uh, when you were talking about the queer theory article. Is there anything you wanted to say about that in particular? I, I mean, I know. I think folks should just go read it. I think definitely, you know, I, I feel like anything I'd say is just, just really recycling. I do think that, you know, in general, like her being really dramatic is something a lot of folks relate to, but that it comes, and but also her struggling with, you know, does she need to repress her, her passion and her true feelings? in order to be functional in the world, you know, mm-hmm. um, is, I think, really relatable for queer readers. And I also mm-hmm. always appreciate with yeah. Jean is, like, of the main X-Men, the three characters who talked about politics, including real-world politics the most, really were Jean, Storm, and Beast. Like, those <laughs> were the three X-Men who you knew, like, read the New York Times every day, <laughs> you know, probably watched the McLaughlin group. Like, I don't didn't really read any of them as being, like, hardcore lefties like me, per se, but these mm. were, like, they were, they, these are people who were informed about politics yeah. and were the people who would go with, you know, Professor X and, like, help him figure out, like, what the mutant political agenda looked like, Um and they were they were the, they were the people like them and Professor X were like the political leaders of right. the mainstream mutant community. Yeah. Really, totally. Scott Summers was reading Sports Illustrated. Wolverine was reading uh, uh, Guns <laughs> and Ammo magazine or something, or Field yeah, and Stream. Yeah, exactly. If you forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I've cool. always sort of read her as a political character who had mm-hmm. really strong political beliefs. And thought about that stuff a lot. And that also is a cool thing to have as a defining characteristic for, you know, your, your, your woman leads. Um, I'm, I'm glad that you brought 
that in there as as her not merely being a political by her nature but as a character like being intellectually curious and having having that level of sophisticated opinion beast is always the one who's presented as sort of the brainiac in a in a in a monster's body but uh mm-hmm. but it's i i think that perspective of gene is uh adds a lot of depth to the interpretation of the character and you know i don't know if you want to hazard this but could we mm-hmm. In terms of the de- depth and complexity, could we take a look at uh, Carol Danvers and Jean Grey as mm-hmm. as the two mega powered female superheroines of the Marvel universe? Um, and you know, I guess my familiarity with Captain Marvel really, I have to say, came through uh, with the movie and her mm-hmm. as a as a mega powerful character through the movie and and she's got struggle and she's got identity issues in the movie i i, I don't know her much in the comics uh, she doesn't strike me as and she's an interesting character and certainly it's a thrill to see her when she pops the cork and you know is tearing through the uh the uh the the Kree accuser fleet um at the end of the movie mm-hmm. just a thrill but um Jean is seems to me like more of a complex and interesting character. Is there any comparison you want to offer there? Or? Well, you know, it's it's complicated. Like Chris Claremont did something amazing when when, when he had um, Carol Danvers in his hands. He did some really amazing things with her. Um, I think that you know, and obviously Kelly Sue DeConnick and the, the modern writers of Carol Danvers as well. I I think like oh, I could. I could really talk at length about Carol. I I don't <laughs> know it. that I would I don't really know that I'd compare them to each other as one being more complex than the other. I mean, I think that they have very mm. different personal stories. Um, you know, I think Carol, you know, joined the military because her dad wouldn't and this is the the original story, but I think it's also still canon like joined the military because her dad wouldn't pay for her to go to college. And was someone who excelled in the military in the seventies before that was like really a thing that, uh, women had as much success for, um, you know, the whole, like, Oh, she just really wants to fly a plane thing came, you know, was a later part in her story. Um, you know, Jean is definitely someone who is sort of predominantly framed as like an intellectual with really, really hardcore powers. And I think in a certain way, Carol is more of a, um, a brawler mm. and Jean will like destroy you, but like, you don't get the sense that Jean like spends her spare time sparring for fun in the, in the gym. And Carol is like, yeah, let's get, let's, let, let's spar. This is yeah. great. Um, so I feel like their person, I mean, it's interesting. Cause like, it's, I just, I, th- I really think they're very different characters, which is really cool because so often these, you know, they're both quote unquote, good girl type, female characters you know um they're both really powerful leaders they're both uh heroes not anti-heroes it would be so easy for them to be really similar and i don't think they are at all and that's really cool but i don't think that i would say gene is more powerful and more complex i think that there's a lot of stuff i mean the, the carol's writing has pivoted you know a lot as has jeans like i think that there have been periods of time a lot of writers don't know what to do with gene mm. especially yeah. men. i think that more women need to be given the reins with gene um you know i i think like the best 
I, I am not an X-Men completist, so there's plenty of Jean that I have not read. Right. I think like the two men who've done the best job writing her are Claremont and um, Grant Morrison. Mm. Oh, gosh. And Greg Pak as well. He's great. Actually, uh, man, the Grant Morrison New Mutant series... The, the, the moment that just knocked my socks off with her power in a way nothing had before is the, the U-men are invading the mansion. The U-men are a group of humans who steal body parts from mutants to try oh. to augment their own powers. Mm. Um, so this is like, a, these are just like, not just evil, but these are literally deadly appropriators of yeah. mutanthood, right? Yeah. Jean makes them throw up and shit themselves simultaneously <laughs> to, discom- to, de- to decapacitate them all in mass. And I just thought to myself... I love you. Grant I love Morrison, you so much, man. Jean. I mean, it's great. Obviously, it's Grant Morrison. Yeah, Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly on art there. But like, but it's Jean. what a brilliant way to use her powers. And like, why doesn't people just do that all the time? Like, you know, why, you know, like mind wiping people and things like that. I think that's more, you know, messed up than just having them be completely physically, de- physically decapacitated and grossed out. Like, yeah. you know, I, I want nonviolent resolution, but if you're going to have a, but if you're going to have a violent re- resolution, <laughs> like that's kind of the way to go, actually. No, no long lasting, you know, physical damage. Sure as hell, nobody's going to be firing at you at that point. Like you've just, it's just a great way to decapacitate and capacitate people. And they should do it all the time. Jean should just be going around <laughs> making bad guys shit themselves and vomit simultaneously as soon as she's as soon as like they refuse to put down their weapons that's just it let her do that <laughs> she's a human lrad it's fine because yeah. um, i do think that fucking with people's heads is you know is really uh, a violation in a, in, a, in a very different uh-huh. kind of way yeah being like you know you're no longer angry uh you don't hate mutants anymore whatever right. i mean she's not a character who's done she doesn't have this this sort of like you know, in, in, in DC, there's Z- Zetana, not through her own volition as much, goes on like a mind-wiping villain's kick, thanks to mm. the a really shoddy storyline hmm. called Identity Crisis. The less said about, the better. Oh, oh. Um, so, you know, X- X-Men doesn't have as much of a... And Doctor Strange mind-wipes everybody all the time. Hmm. Um X-Men doesn't have as much of a tendency towards that, but like there's some there there for sure. I just would really like them to solve their problems this way instead of mind wiping people as much as possible. Uh, but yeah, that creativity that Grant Morrison used. And I also love Grant Morrison. He finally got Gene and, and Logan together. You know, when people huh. are like, I, I don't really like, I find the dynamic of the complexity of the relationship between Gene and Scott and Emma and Wolverine much more interesting than any particular individual pairing off of those characters. Uh-huh. You know, I don't, I don't ship any of them as couples. I ship the drama, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I really appreciated Grant Morrison being like the person to like really bite the bullet and be like, yep, they're going to kiss now. <laughs> um, you know, like she's been with him since they were teenagers, more or less. And, you know, he's been with other people because she was dead and she never really mm. had any other opportunity. And it's complicated and she deserves to have the opportunity to explore that. Um, and and as a reader, I appreciate 
I would be perfectly happy for an, an, a non-ending, an, an unending love rectangle to proceed. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't really like, and maybe, and, and Emma and Jean can have a relationship too. Like just yeah. have that whole mess there be a thing. I definitely think like the complexity of her, I, I, too many people I think like are only interested in her in, in terms of her relationship with Scott, which I think is really weird. I think it's much more interesting for there to be more drama right more drama please you know i don't know did you do you have feelings about those pairings yourself or you know i kind of i did lose the thread through a, for the uh the grant morrison run which is a <clears throat> um and uh in my own personal life went off on a different jag in my life and and went away from comics dur- for the duration of 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 grant's run um so I actually get to go back and reread all that stuff and go experience that, which I'm going to do now because um, I love really Grant's good. work. It's really good. I haven't re I haven't revisited the whole thing recently, but the bits of it that I've the bits of it that I've have looked at again recently, it was like, yep, lives up, <laughs> still there. No, and I remember. Um, sorry. Yeah, that's oh, all. I was I was going to say I re- I remember people flipping out about it. it uh, throughout the 90s like Grant Morrison you should see what he's doing in the X-Men but uh, I did consistently I just wasn't there at the time <clears throat> and I also want to say really quick as as you discussed Gene taking out the U-Men and I, I, I gave the credit to Grant Morrison and, and you said but it was Gene I actually immediately felt guilty because in a way I feel that Gene actually speaks through uh, writers in a in a very interesting and compelling way. Uh, you know, Grant Morrison is a great writer and does amazing stuff with with his characters. I, oh, I don't. That, that's not. I'm sorry. I'm like breaking up your flow. No, I didn't really mean that at all. Like, I mean, it, it's the creative team. And and had it been an obvious to everyone, it would have been used by then. Like, it's totally. I totally. That's totally like a Grant Morrison and and Frank Quietly innovation mm. for sure. I. I think the general idea of Gene being a powerful character is like baked into the process, but those, but that particular moment is, I, I, I absolutely just credit the creative team on that. Mm-hmm. Okay, <clears throat> no, 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 that's fine. Um, I, I am interested in this idea of this incredibly persistent character, you know, who's people like you said often the male char- male writers don't know what to do with her she keeps getting killed off she's cloned she's replicated she's brought back to life they kill her off again they had a teenage jean gray she ends up i guess sacrificing herself because phoenix and all this stuff and and uh i just wonder in this maybe i'm reaching here but this sort of like nevertheless she persisted era we have <laughs> She can't keep Jean down. She keeps coming no. back for more, and people—they yeah. don't really know what to do with her. Is she speaks through through writers, and maybe they're not always good enough. You said you you want to see more women writers taking oh, yeah. a swing at her. Who should? Who do you think should be should be writing Jean Grey these days? Ooh, these days and channeling her. I know. I read. I read a lot of really amazing um, comics writers right now. Um, I think. You know the the thing, um, Leo Williams is mm. just an unstoppable force of X Men brilliance, and you know she's written a lot of Emma Frost, and the Emma Frost one shot she wrote is like just an absolute definitive take on the character. Mm. Uh, I would love to have Leo Williams write Jean. I think she would be an amazing person to have on that book. <coughs> And, and she would definitely just do it in a drop of a hat. Drop of a hat. Um, 
yeah, there's a lot of other people I can name too, but I yeah. think she's just like would be the perfect person on it. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, and like from the art standpoint, like I, I, it's interesting in the seventies, a lot of the comics artists had it. It's interesting when they relaunched the X Men with Claremont. Um, and you know, the, the, the artists who sort of did the, the new, the new costumes and the new look for the new team, basically Dave Cockrum, I think like hmm. he did like a style guide of her huh? and, um, and it was really smart. Like he actually really knew what, like his take on what she would wear I know a lot of seventies. Fa- I know a lot, I know a lot of fashion history. Period, but certainly seventies. He was like, I think she'd wear a lot of those sort of long, flowy pants that they have in vogue these days, and these sashes. And I was like, Yep, sure. sounds right. So yeah. like this whole lookbook he did for her, and I, I, I lookbook for her about her casual wear, and I was just like, Yeah, no, that's totally nailing it. It's totally what you know. She's not a counterculture person, but she's not a square. She's a sort of you know, young and fashionable, but not someone who spends all of her time like fashion plate type person. It just thread that needle of exactly what I thought she would have been wearing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like since then, the fashion decisions for her have kind of all been downhill. Like I think there, you know, Silvestri had his moments, but a lot of the time I think people have put her in clothing that I don't think makes any sense for a woman with her particular life, with her particular position in life and interests. Um, Mm. So I would love to see some artists who really understand fashion uh give her you know a look i i I enjoyed the uh the the young the looks that that um they gave for young jean with like i think that um uh, jamie mckelvey worked on those and everything jamie mckelvey does is amazing those totally worked for me when he did those for young jean my thread oh yeah but i would love to have some 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 artists take on you know giving her like a new wardrobe giving her like, a new like really understanding her look and her fashion and stuff like that yeah i mean um, all the all the x-men the i, I mostly knew the, the claremont burn run of the x-men most of that stuff was pretty much you know superhero skin tight you know standard issue you know with a, a little bit of daring sort of uh Oh yeah, Hellfire Club wear. and bondage and all that stuff. I mean, I mean the streetwear. Like, right, I, I definitely right. think that. Um, I definitely think that the cost. She, Jean Grey's had some wonderful costumes, like the 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 green dress with this yellow sash, and then when it goes red, like the whole thing with the sash, and then yeah. her having that like the cat's eye glasses styled mask. I think she was the first character to really have that style, which then got carried on a number of different characters. Mm. That look is just. Just like the most quintessential, the cat's eye mask is like, is like quintessential, like, you know, sixties, late sixties, like awesome style that was just brilliant and iconic and everybody borrowed. I, am, um, mm. I love covering fashion and comics because mm. it can be great. It can be amazing. And usually it's bad. And so there's so much to sort of tear your hair out over, um, and those missed opportunities because you know clothing are a part of characterization yes what kind of brought me to this topic to revise dark phoenix is they have a movie it came and it just came out and i haven't seen it yet it apparently is going to be a real stinker and uh i'm i don't know what I'm, I'm gonna go see it um i know that the buzz has been incredibly negative uh, pal of mine was 
relentlessly putting down all the trailers and saying it looked terrible. And you know, I I don't go into comics movies expecting Kenneth Branagh or you know Helen Mirren um, doing Shakespeare. Uh, I expect a comic book movie, and it, you know you can achieve a lot of, of complicated and sophisticated stuff with comic books, but they're still as a as a medium not very complex. They're brash, they're spectacular. You got you throw in an antihero, and and that's your sophistication, and there you go. Um, do you plan on seeing Dark Phoenix? Do we have any hope for Sophie Turner elevating the character from blah blah blah? No, I'm not going to bother seeing it. I basically said if people came out of it telling me, oh, my God, it's amazing, I would. But life is too short to watch mediocre superhero movies, especially when there's lots of really good ones, you Mm. know. I'm going to be spending my weekend watching the new Brian De Palma movie. Sadly, I'm back to report that the new Brian De Palma movie is bad and racist. Yeah. Uh, I absolutely think that superhero movies should be held to... Like, just I, my time is too valuable. Do right. you know what I mean? Yeah. But I'm not going to see a superhero movie looking for the same things that I'm looking for, you know, in like a really like auteur led mm-hmm. film. But it needs to be as enjoyable to me as that. And so, you know, I can say like, you know, Black Panther, Thor Ragnarok, like those movies are freaking great. Yeah. I will defend those movies you know there's a lot of things i really liked in captain marvel Mm -hmm. um you know i and life is too short to watch bad superhero movies (laughs) it really is could be a motto even with the performances even with the performances you know and at least when they were bad in the past there was a sort of campiness to it right yeah which they captured with shazam i don't know if you saw shazam yeah i liked shazam the camp was enjoyable it does in a good way like John Waters would appreciate the camp, I think, in, in Shazam. They didn't yeah. hide that that part of it. No, it was right in there, and um, and made the most of it. Yeah, and you know, and here they had this cast that includes some really excellent performers in yeah. it. Yeah, but they, but you know, I just I never trusted these filmmakers to do a good job of about a movie where like a woman gets too powerful and loses her shit. Like I was yeah. like, I don't trust this story with any of you guys. Yeah. And then it's not even very good. Like, th- you know, there could be a uh, there could be a movie that's good on a lot of levels, but its larger story point is like, yeah, that's fucked up, guys. This isn't even that, right? So, yeah. I was incredibly disappointed by Brian Singer's take on on Phoenix and Jean Grey at all. And uh, you know, there have been some great moments in X-Men movies. <clears throat> but now it's part of the Mouse Empire. Disney bought Fox Films. Any yeah. thoughts on how that's going to work with the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Well, you know, I'm really concerned about media monopolies and that sure. ship has sailed. I, I do think that the desire to um, hold back on making more, spending more on the movies until the merger is done... I think that there was like a deliberate lack of care worked in there, hmm. right? Which is too bad given the quality of the actors going in there. And then Sophie Turner, it what really an opportunity the, for this, her. Yeah, exactly. This cast deserves better. Yeah. Humph. Well, uh, so I would hmm. definitely say if you people are like missing Jean and they want some Jean Grey, you know, this weekend, watch 
the old cartoon, you know, Night of the Senators. And, uh-huh. uh, okay. you know, listen to some Jay and Miles explain the X-Men podcast and like read your comics. Yeah. Read your comics. I, I mean, I'm trying to even remember. I, I saw only bits of the last movie and it seemed like it didn't seem bad. It just didn't seem great. You know, so oh, the maybe, maybe that is worth seeing, but I'm not even really making an effort there. I mean, I, that, I assume you're the one to, where you're referring to the one with Oscar Isaac Apoc- as Apocalypse, yeah. Yes. Was that Last Stand? Uh, no, Last Stand was the third of the old run of movies. Mm. I don't even remember uh, which one it was. And it was, I think, largely forgettable as a movie, except for Jean Grey blowing up Apocalypse, which thrilled me to my toes. I was so happy to see that. And <laughs> Oh, good. So you thought you thought it worked on certain levels, but mostly just on that level. Her coming into her power—I um, haven't seen or getting a taste of it. I haven't seen it enough. Enough. I mean, I saw it once. I haven't seen it. Uh, there, have, there have been no repeat viewing, so I don't have more of a critical perspective on that. Um, but now I'm going to go find *Night of the Sentinels* uh, from the old X-Men cartoon. Yeah, the cartoon is you know has really bad animation production values yeah um but it has a strong sense of each of the characters and it does an amazing job of condensing the best x-men storylines throughout history into like a manageable sequential story it's like quite an quite quite an achievement there and um also like the women are great and it's not Mm. sexist and that's kind of awesome yeah and the Sentinels are certainly a, a fascinating and terrifying set of characters representing, you know, the fascistic desire to exterminate uh, the other and putting them into the body of robots. I guess, were they all pre-Terminator in terms of killer robots? Uh, oh, well, I mean, the Sentinels are date back to Jack Kirby and Stan Lee in the 60s. So, yeah, oh, really? absolutely. Really? They were the, that was oh, Kirby yeah, and Lee? They- Yep, yep. It's it's very early in the series as well. Uh. You know, the world that hates and fears them. There's an amazing um, essay by uh, Stephen Adwell, who's a historian over at graphicpolicy.com, about um, the X-Men and the politics of X-Men comics going way back to the beginning of the series. You know, the Claremont, no, that pre-Claremont, right? The, um, the, the Lee and Kirby comics, I highly recommend to check out. If you go and look up um, A People's History of the Marvel Universe and X-Men, you'll find them. And he actually really goes into the whole um, Atomic Age paranoia setting. Um, it's re- well worth your time. I'm going to dig that up and find the link also, listeners, for the transcribed version of this. I think we're probably coming near the end of this thing. Do you want to uh-huh. wrap up with any any final comments or thoughts? Yeah, um, you know, I definitely think if uh, if folks are really don't really know the character, um, you know, the, the the Dark Phoenix saga is really that good. Uh, but definitely, Grant Morrison's run on New X Men is. I think in a lot of ways for me, the, the, the quintessential mm-hmm. period, there's been some good gene in the recent series, but my reading has been sort of patchy. Um, so I don't feel quite ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To go dig that up. And there's so much story and so much retconning and so many alternative takes on Jean Grey. One could, one could write a master's thesis on it. Thesis on it. 
Ilana Levin, this was an awesome conversation. I thank you for having me on Graphic Podcast and for being a guest on the first fabulous podcast. Thank you. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah. Just, so, yeah. also, you know, giving me a little insight on you know uh, Carol Danvers and, and and Chris Clark Claremont. I love the thought of Carol as a brawler. I want to go find those oh, yeah. find those characters. So I I learned. Well, a yeah. Lot if you want to, I mean, if you want to read good Captain Marvel, read the um. You know, there's two things. Read. Okay. There's a few issues of X Men. Well, the beginning of Carol Danvers. It's what is it? It's an X Men annual by Claremont. Where is where um where Carol first joins the team is this amazing feminist corrective to a really fucked up story from the Avengers mm. um that uh basically in the Avengers comic Carol gets raped and everybody acts like it's totally normal and nothing's wrong because Carol acts that way because Carol is like being mind controlled and there never was any reckoning around it and fans had complained about this and when Chris Claremont was taking over the title, he was like, hey, can I have Carol Danvers? And the editorial was like, yeah, sure. He literally wrote an issue of X-Men where she addresses her old friends in the Avengers about like, hey, I was raped and you guys didn't do anything to help me. What's up with that? Uh, I'm going to leave you guys and hang out with the X-Men now. Goodbye. Uh, And then Carol Danvers was with the X-Men for a couple, at least a year, maybe a couple of years. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And I love it because it's an example of fans sort of being like, hey, this thing is sexist. A a man who's a writer, who's a feminist, being like, oh, I hear you. I see what you mean. I'm going to do something about this. And then like literally doing it. And that's how you ended up with Carol Danvers in the X-Men for a while, which led to some interesting and complex stories. So So this was a uh, fan-driven prompt that got Claremont thinking, thinking more deeply about it. Yeah, exactly. And really changed the character for the better because he helped develop her Carol Danvers's, you know, personality and character farther. And um, you know, and then obviously the recent the the, the recent runs by um largely written by uh Kelly Sue DeConnick with a, a number of different artists on it have have been really good, really good. You know, as as we discussed that, you know, there is we sort of open up uh, another little bit of terrain we could tromp around, which is the the female comic character as male fantasy. Oh, yeah. And Jean Grey as male fantasy, and an an interesting and complicated one, because she's she's sort of a good girl, but she's kind of a live wire as well, and... Yep. Yep. You know, she really defies those characters. She really defies those categories. I think I'm glad you brought this up. I think that's one of the reasons why Jean is great is she just definitely does not fall into the good girl or bad girl camp. And um, I think that a lot of characters regard her as one or the other, but that's not true. And that tension is sort of like a key part of her interactions with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Sort of walking this line between, uh, I mean, I do see a little bit of a line between the uh, f- female stereotype and female archetype, you know, and archetypes yeah. of female power and personality, and which gets imposed on this character, you know. I mean, we saw it happen with, in that Kirby Without Words, where Kirby draws her as self-empowered and taking care of business, and Stan, Stan the man makes it all about, yes, sir, I will not fail you, sir. She's crazy. I mean, and, you know, the, the characterization of her as being like bookish is legit and lasts and makes sense, but yeah. that doesn't mean she's like obsequious, you know, come that, on. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, thank you. Yes, uh, this indeed. Has been a, this has been a pleasure. Ditto. Totally. A great conversation. I really appreciate it. So as we always like to say, keep it geeky. 
And don't forget to tell your friends that Graphic Policy is now on Spotify, so be sure to subscribe to us there now as well as the usual iTunes. Have a great week.